I also spent time in prayer this morning and, <clears throat> and in that prayer just felt God just talking to me, but then also me just crying out, help me to see your son, Jesus. And uh, sometimes uh, songs will come to mind as I pray. And I remember one that was, because uh, I had actually uttered the words, help me to stand amazed in the presence of you, Jesus. And because uh, we can sometimes miss that, right? It can be unlike you with the person you love the most sitting next to you today, and you can miss that. You can miss that you're standing next or sitting next to the person you love the most. Um, but imagine that in relationship to our eternal creator and Jesus. And uh, as that came, the song, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene came up. And I don't know for you that have a, a, a Baptist hymnal background or that's how I grew up. Um, that song, I remember they would every once in a while say to the crowd, hey, is there any requests? And that song would come up from some. And I remember people afterwards being like, isn't that such a good song? And I'd think, eh, you know, it's okay. Because <laughs> the tune, you know, it was like as a kid, it was like, that's not really... Let's sing something that's got a better tune to it. But this morning in the prayer, I started to sing those words back. And I was like, wow, like that is amazing stuff. That's amazing stuff to be able to stand in the presence of Jesus because you see all that he's done for you. It's no wonder back then. And I, I was even in the ministry and I'd hear people call for that. And at that time, just again, the richness of the gospel that God wanted to continue to unpack in my life. I just had a taste and today I've got more of a taste and I'm looking forward to even more of an appetite for his gospel going forward because it is rich and you never get to the end of it. His love is amazing. And to stand in his presence, we want to be amazed by what Jesus is doing. So thank God if you were here this morning and you've participated in any of these songs and prayers, any actions that have gone on today through this body's te corporate testimony of gathering together that have encouraged you to stand amazed at what God's doing in your life through Jesus Christ. That's a powerful thing that we should celebrate and thank God for. It's a miraculous thing that he does in our lives. And it's one of the reasons that I hold him so dear. It's one of the reasons I hold God so dear in my life is because I've seen him through his son, Jesus. So I had parents that raised me as a kid in how to pray. I don't know how many here have trained up a younger child in how to pray, but Kim and I taught our kids the same way. When you start your prayer, it's dear God, right? Dear God. And then um, as time goes on, you know, you might use other terms, but you would say that term, dear God. What does that mean to you, dear God? So I'm a pastor here. I get to be a part of this uh, church ministry in that way. Very big privilege in my life and an accountability in my life that God uses. And one of the things that I like to do every once in a while, it's hard for me to do it, but it's just such a simple act. But I really like to share encouragement to people in the congregation. So if I can write a note of encouragement, I like to do that. Um, and I mean like a handwritten note, and my handwriting is terrible, but it's the words that I want to communicate that, you know, are coming from my heart. And so many times when I write those notes, I actually write, dear Kim, or dear Tina, dear, I'm just looking real quick, but whoever that is, right? And I'd say dear to them, because why? Because I was taught to say dear I don't even talk like that anymore. When I write an email, I don't say dear so-and-so unless they're dear to me. And what does it mean for them to be dear? It means they're very special in a special place held specially in my heart, right? They are endeared to me. 
So I actually mean what I say. When I write words in something, they have an, an, a purpose. They have a meaning. And so when I say dear to someone, it's because you're dear to me. And I think that's what happens in the church, right? God gives us a near and dear mentality for one another that even though we have so many different backgrounds, different perspectives and views on life, but we hold each other dear because God holds us dear and he's put us together as part of a family together. And that's a special thing. So now when I say dear God, which I did this morning, I started to pray and I don't usually start that way, dear God, but I said, dear God, and I'd already asked him to give me a word, to give me that word he wants me to speak. And when I said, dear God, I was like, oh yeah, that's what this is all about. How dear are you to me? How dear are you to them? Is God dear to you today? Now, I spoke about my parents this morning, and I did have that as part of the testimony as well this morning that I want to share with you. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> was that uh, I had parents that God was dear to them. I was blessed. I was very fortunate that way. I have still a mom who's alive and well, and, and to both my mom and dad, while they were living with me and raising me, God was very near and dear to their hearts and still to my mom who's living. Dad's with God in heaven. But I also had parents that put me back on the altar of God. So when I was born, you guys, I, I prefer to be called John. It's just the way I grew up. I moved around a lot and I didn't, I don't know, I like John. It sounded better to me. But my dad actually named me Jonathan from the Bible, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. And he would make a point to tell me, my mom would make a point to tell me that that means gift from God. And they were people who lived their lives in such a way that they wanted me to understand that didn't mean that God had given me to them so that they could go out and I was their champion. It was so that I could go be put back on the altar to be used by God in whatever way he sees fit. And I had parents that raised me to think like that. Now, I, at different points in my life, I you know, try to move away from that, not want to be associated with that kind of thing. But their testimony had an effect on me. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think we might see some of that in the heart of the man who asked the question today. We don't know what his father was like. We don't know what was passed on to him. But there's a good chance that the same type of things were passed on to him from his parents. I'm thankful that I had parents that taught me what it means to say, dear God, and mean it. And I give you that word today to say, with the people who you have influence over, do they see that God is dear to you through your time, your talent, and your resources? Do they see that God is dear to you, that he's the most dear thing to you? And then... Yesterday, I was looking out the window at that snowscape in my backyard, and it was really impressive yesterday. Beautiful if you had a chance to look out and see the snowscape. The day before was the whiteout. My daughter was getting ready to fly to Boston, and I'm just thinking, please pass. Get, get, go away so she can get on the flight safely and get on. But yesterday, I'm looking out the window, and it was just that peaceful snow. And I've got this one tree that's just right by this picture window in our living room. It's a lollipop tree. That's what the previous owners put it in. They called it. And it's actually shaped like a lollipop. It's really cool. Um, so I'm just looking out the window at that, and there's this all kinds of birds of different kinds, you know, I, you know, every kind, all kinds, not every kind, but all kinds getting together. There's probably six or seven birds in that little tree. And there's these berries that are on that tree, and, you know, they, some of them were 
I don't know, talking to each other. I don't know what they're doing, but some of them were getting those berries. And I've noticed that over this winter, that that's, that tree is popular for those birds to swoop in, grab a berry, go on. Um, but I kid you not, I'm looking at that and it's so peaceful, right? I'm standing there. I was actually waiting for somebody to come by the house that was supposed to meet with us. And I, I'm looking there and I'm just like, wow, that's peaceful. But what I want to tell you the story for, for was because where, where the place that my mind goes in that moment, I think reveals something about the human condition in the heart. So I'm sitting there and I'm just enjoying that for just a moment. This is really beautiful. Wow, look at those birds. Look at them taking those berries. Are there enough berries? Hey, they should probably, are we going to have, is that, how's that tree going to provide enough for all these birds? Man, there should really be a way that these birds figure out to store these berries. My mind started going to that. I kid you not. I kid you not. I started thinking, I started getting anxious about the birds eating berries on my lollipop tree. How silly is that? And I was like, there you go. That's, that's it. Tomorrow I just need to share. Because it's like such a simple illustration, but it's something that shows like where my heart is inclined. And I know if I'm there, guys, and I'm a human being, you go there too. And if it's something that simple that doesn't even need my attention, right? I, I don't even put bird seed out in my yard. Why am I worried about how the birds are going to be fed? But I did want you to know, I'm really looking and enjoying that moment. And that's where my heart goes to ang- being anxious about is this going to work? Is there enough? Hey, how can we, how, you know, if I'm a bird, what would I do? And how would we get this? And I'm even thinking that, right? Um, just somehow thinking I need to control the situation. Guys, that is, that is not a place of happiness. And so even in that moment, it was like, oh, John, just watch on. So the birds fly away. You see them flying away, right? And even in that, I was like, hmm, they didn't take a whole lot. I would have took a little more. Before I left, some of them were some pretty big, hefty-looking birds. I think they could have took some more berries than just one berry. Anyway, that's the way I'm thinking. And then I watch them fly away. And then all of a sudden, my eyes lift up to see all the other trees and vegetation and things that are around. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. God provides more than just that tree for these birds. And they don't worry about it. And they may worry about it. I don't know. Maybe God created them too simple to worry about it. But they get what they need and they go on. And I'm sitting there as a human being always thinking about how to hoard it up to make sure that I have what I need when I need it. Well, I think that applies to this story today because that can get real twisted to where we start to consider possessions in this life the most dear things. And Jesus wants us to understand there's one thing that's most important, and that is to know him and glorify God forever. It's reciprocal. So know him and you will glorify God forever. You can't help but glorify God forever. So I want to read before I get into the parable, the passage that Jesus speaks in Luke 12, 22 through 34. At the end of the Tuesday morning men's Bible study, Tom Helfrich had shared this passage with me. And I'm like, man, that's... That brings it all together, really. Um, So I want to read this because it actually talks about birds. So I guess guys like me need to hear about it. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 12. This is what Jesus said to his disciples about being anxious. Hmm, That's a word for me. Are you anxious today? You anxious about anything? Anxious about something small? Anxious about something big? You anxious? Maybe not right now, but something you're going to be anxious about when you leave here today? Maybe something got coming this week and you're anxious? My question is because all of us get anxious. And Jesus says to his followers, his disciples, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Well, guess what? If Jesus says it, we can believe it. He says, do not be anxious about your life. And guys, I can tell you right now, God knows me well, that I will leave this afternoon and I will have moments where I start to get anxious. And because of the unpacking of his gospel in my life, because of your presence in my life, because his word is real and saturating my life, because his spirit is over me and in me, he's going to help me not be anxious. He's going to do things like he did in that moment, which is so fickle. But he ministers to me and says, what are you worrying about? There's nothing to worry about. Look around. It's provided for. He's going to do the same thing in my life and in your life. Goes on to say, what, don't worry about what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. I kid you not, part of my prayer this morning, this is, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but part of my prayer this morning is like, God, even direct me to what to wear when I go up there this morning. And I, what, look at this crazy outfit. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely was stressing about that this morning. Like, I need something that you can put a lapel mic on. But I, even in my prayer, ask God, even lead me to the thing in my closet I'm supposed to wear, so I'm not stressing about that. And I know, you could say, well, God did that? Come on, man, that's not. (laughs) But the point is, I don't need to be anxious about that. God provides what we need. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Verse 23, for your life is more than food. Huh. You ever had those times where it seemed like that's all you could think about was that next meal, that next bite to eat? And then the body, more than clothing. You ever had that where your mind was consumed with your, what you're going to wear? How are you going to stay warm? How are you going to stay cool? Look at 24. Consider the ravens. Here's these birds. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. I just gave you a story about that. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And I read that wrong. Because Jesus spoke it with an exclamation point, right? So he's, he's, he's yelling this out. Getting us to recognize that we are more important than birds. More value to God. 25, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Nah, probably taking years off with the worrying. 26, if, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, adding a day to your life. Why are you anxious about the rest? Hmm. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And here's that exclamation again. Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. So I want to stop there to say, you know, Jesus is very clear that he knows that that's what the tendency that our natural instinct would do. Jesus knows that. Jesus is a human, too. He's the God man, right? He knows what kind of feelings we have. And he wants us to understand that's what the world seeks after. But I want to, he, he says, I want you to know what my people should feel and hope and believe. Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom 
and these things will be added to you. He goes on, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Guys, we just sang about the goodness of God, and I sang as I sang it, believed it. Not just believed it, remembered, like Nick talked about, remember how he's been good to me. Not just 15, 20, 35 years ago, today or yesterday. I have a short-term memory, so it's a good thing God's good to me all the time. And I'm sitting there remembering those things and I'm rejoicing in God and the covenant that he's made with me through Jesus Christ. So seeking his kingdom, fearing not, is because we know God's good pleasure is to show us and usher us into his kingdom. We know it's part of who he is. He's good. We're going to see a father maybe in this parable. Well, actually, we don't see the father, but maybe he's not so good. I don't know. This, this guy in the crowd, what he calls out. We'll get to that. Let's go. 33. Sell your possessions. That's hard if we're focused on possessions. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's hard if I feel like I'm the one that needs them. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. And as I read this, I was like, oh, there you go. There's the part about money bags. So he's telling me to buy a purse and he's telling me to put my money in it. Right? <laughs> But that what it is, is he says, money bags that do not grow old. He means like these aren't like worldly money bags. He's trying to point, paint a picture of something greater, not really about money. Look on there. With money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure. So this is what's in that. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Guys, there's nothing in this life. Tuesday morning in Bible study, we were talking about that. There's nothing in this life that rust and moth does not eventually destroy except what God has deemed eternal. And this is what Jesus is talking about. So verse 34, this final word that's going to relate to our parable today, and Tom led me to it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, that's what we're talking about today as we get into this parable. But before I do that, let me pray, and then we'll get into that scripture. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for those words from your son, Jesus. Help us to hear them. Help us to believe them. Help us to hope in them. God, we ask you to take away the anxiety, the worry, and lead us to faith, trust, security, the anchor for our soul in you. We pray this as we read, God, let your spirit lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, we've got a parable here that I want to read to you, and then we'll, uh, we'll try to unpack this. Before I start the parable, maybe it's just easier for me to say this. There's a guy in the crowd that calls out to Jesus. If you read the passage before we get to this parable, I don't know what's going on in this crowd. I know Jesus is talking to his disciples. And then next thing we know, this guy's screaming out this question. I don't know if he's screaming it, but he's asking this question. It doesn't fit the context of everything that Jesus just talked about. Because Jesus is talking about your, your livelihood's gonna be on the line. Your life is gonna be on the line. You're gonna have people questioning you, your reputation, all these different things. And he's saying, you don't have to worry, trust me. And then all of a sudden, now the crowd comes, this guy's voice. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
So I can be like that at times where I'm not really paying attention to there's a serious discussion going on over here. And I'm like, hey, hey, can you tell them go and lock the door? I mean, like, it's like, that's not maybe the most important thing right now, but I get focused on my need, my concern. This man right here is focused on his need, his concern. It might be a valid concern because it's gonna be about his financial, maybe his family's financial well-being. we're going to see. But he's got the wrong focus. He's got a shallow focus in this moment. Look at the next statement. Jesus says, but he said to him, man, who made, a, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then Jesus goes on to say to him, take care and be, be on your guard against all covetousness, covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I want to stop there to say that is the point of the parable we're about to read. What Jesus just said there. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is the man focused on? Hey, my brother's got more than me. I might need, maybe he's desperate. I don't know. But either way, he's focused on possessions in this moment. As he stands in the presence of the one who is over all things who has unlimited resources, eternal resources, who's telling his disciples and followers, don't get caught even on where you're going to place your head at night. Wow. I mean, he's talking about really holding on to the things of this life very loosely and trusting God. And then this man comes in like, hey, 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 here's my problem. It's the most important thing. But Jesus is going to tell a parable that talks about possessions. So let's look at the parable, 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid down up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says to them, to him, to them, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Very, very serious words that Jesus speaks here that are not just for this man who poses the question, but they are for the man who poses the question. But they're also for the brother, they're for Jesus' disciples, they're for the rest of the crowd, and they're for you and me today. So the worst thing we can do when we come to Scripture is to start to think this is about somebody else. This is about their thing, not mine. Open yourself up to hear this as if Jesus, because he is speaking directly to you and me, to our soul, about what life is about and what it should consist of. In this moment, the man, as I said before, might have had a valid concern. Uh, the law, the actual Mosaic law required that the firstborn would be given a double portion. So it's likely that his older brother had more, maybe all of it, because that's the law, that they get a double portion. It doesn't say discount everybody else, but it does say the oldest firstborn should get the double portion. We don't know here if any more came his way. We don't know if the father divvied up. But what I do see here is, I, and I said it earlier, I'm sitting here wondering, I don't know any of this, but I know what life's like. And I'm sitting here wondering, 
man, what did the dad really do to leave behind to his kids? Because he's got, if there is one that's holding on to the inheritance and others that are desperate for help, what did that dad really teach? What did he really leave behind? And so if nothing else is gleaned from this morning, I want to encourage you to say, what kind of inheritance, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what kind of inheritance are you leaving behind? (laughs) I'm thankful God put me here today so that I could declare and be held accountable because this is how I stand, that my life should back it up, that I stand here and declare that the inheritance that is most important in our lives is the spiritual inheritance, the eternal covenant that we have with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And no thing in this life, no possession should get in the way of that. And any possession that I have should only be used to build a bridge for that to be accomplished in other people's lives. And that is the word that should be passed on to your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, everyone that you have an influence over. But this man is concerned about getting his. So Jesus tells this parable. And as I said before in verse 15, Jesus makes the main point of the parable. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I said it before, I need to say it again, that it's understood The chief end of all mankind is to know God and glorify him forever. So what stands in the way of that happening? What stands in the way of you and me knowing God and glorifying forever? Well, he points to it just just right there in verse 15. Be on your guard against what? All covetousness. I can't pronounce it very well today. But it's idolatry, right? And I just want to give a quick... Definition of idolatry just written in my notes that I just wrote. Idolatry is replacing God. So idolatry is replacing God in our hearts with something other. That's, that's simply the simplest way I can say it. So that can happen in any one of us today. That can happen right now in this moment. That can happen at any other point along your life. But that, that's what idolatry is, and that's the thing we're supposed to be on guard against. Why does Jesus say that? Because he wants us to walk around like a bunch of prudes? Nope. Nope. Matter of fact, Jesus, he tells this story, and he actually kind of warns against this guy's opinion. But I believe Jesus is the way that you actually even understand how to relax, <laughs> how to eat, how to drink, how to be merry in righteous ways. God is not giving these words through Jesus so that we would become a bunch of prudes. He's doing it because he doesn't want the very things that God has gifted to us to begin to rob our souls. He wants us to experience the riches of God through these things, but not that these things are an end of themselves, that we would recognize they're just for temporary use. What's most important is our relationship in knowing God. So anything that leads us away from knowing God or replacing God is that thing that becomes an idol in our life. So the reason I want to keep pointing that definition out to you and me is because I used to think it was about stuff I could just set down. But it's really deeply ingrained in me, like sitting there looking at the lollipop tree and idolatry starts to leak out. So it requires a little more for us to understand what God really wants to do in our lives to crush our idols than just thinking what some church person tells you those things are. Now, what I said was some church person or religious person. That doesn't mean God didn't put church people, religious people in your life to help you. We already said that this morning. What I mean is, you know what crushes our idols? The word of God. 
So when we speak, we speak as if we speak the oracles of God. When we speak the word of God, not John's word, not your political hero's words, but when you speak the words of God, that's what changes people. That's what changes things. That's how, that's, that's how we live and move and have our being is in Jesus, the very word of God become flesh. So you've got this parable that Jesus tells. And one other stark thing I want to point out here is in verse 17. Look at the man in the parable. Look how he, Jesus paints him. It says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? What shall I do? And then he goes on later in verse 19. I'll say to my soul. You see how, how futile this is? The man's simply speaking to himself. He's his own authority. Well, isn't that similar to what Jesus is approached with by this man in the crowd? who's come to him and already told Jesus what he wants him to do? Are you following me? This man didn't come to Jesus in prayer. He didn't come to Jesus as one who can help him to know the will of God. He came to tell him what the will of God was, and Jesus, you make that happen. Why are you saying that, John? Because that's what idolatry does in my life. That's what it'll do in your life. And when we start telling God what it is, instead of asking God what, it, what is it, We've entered into idolatrous territory. And it's not a place to then be like, we're beyond help. Guess what? He's given us help through his son, Jesus. Because Jesus continues to speak like he does to that man here. He gives a better word. He gives a word that's calling us out of that darkness into God's wonderful light. Into that abundant life that we have walking with Jesus. So I want you to see this in the, in the parable and with the man that asks the question, where is their prayer? Where is their asking Lord, what would you have me to do? Guys, when we say word, we talked about this in my Thursday, Thursday night uh, adult Bible study. And guys, if you're looking for a place to study the Bible with adults and don't have one, there's a Thursday night group that meets down here in the adult Bible study room at 7 o'clock. And you're welcome to come in and join us. We just discuss the text. We read it, discuss it, pray. And it's an hour-long thing. But I just invite you, if you're an adult, to be a part of that. Um, but that question was talked about of saying, Lord, what do we mean when we say Lord? Because sometimes somebody hears me say Lord and they're like, ah, this religious nut. He's saying the word Lord because we don't use Lord anymore. Nobody's like Lord John, Lord Dre. We don't say. So what, what, what's the term? King, authority, boss. I heard that the other day. I walk in somewhere to inspect somebody and the guy was like, hey, what's up, boss? I was like, I like that. I like that. He called me boss. So maybe that's a better way to say it for, for God. He's the boss. He's the boss. Jesus is the boss. How do we know he's the boss? How do I know if that guy really thought I was a boss as the inspection captain? Is he going to listen to what I tell him he needs to do? Same with Jesus. You can say Lord all day long and not even know him. Not even trust him. Boss all day long. Hey, boss. And not trust him. Not listen to what he's telling you to do. This is how you know he's the boss, the Lord, the king, because you are asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? And you're waiting for him to tell you. You're listening for him to tell you. You're obeying and agreeing, cooperating, agreeing with what he tells you to do. Are you seeing the difference here between the man in the crowd and the parable to what God is calling us to today? Because the tone here is simply me and mine, and I've decided for myself well, what about you? What about me? Is it me and mine? Is it God I've already decided? It can't be that because this is what I'm supposed to do. 
Where is the prayer? Where is the asking of God? Um, it's been a blessed week. And what I mean by that is uh, all weeks are blessed if you're walking with Jesus. And we have, we have full access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But the reality is that you and me sometimes aren't very accessible. Our souls are kind of turned off. We're not listening to what God wants to say to us. This has been a special week for a lot of Christians. As we have stopped and said, God, what do you want me to lay down? What do you want me to pick up? What is that thing that would make space for me to hear you better? And I've been blessed by that this week. And I thank God for that in my church and the way that's been displayed. And there's a lot of ways that can happen in people's lives. But the question is, are you making access for God to you? God's always accessible for us. How, is he, how are you making access for him? Because that's what it means to be rich toward God. It means to be about the things of God. I wrote this so small, I got to put my glass on the read. But when I originally read that first part about the birds in the air, or the, I'm sorry, yeah, the birds in the air and the flowers in the field, it's like this focus on treasure here and now that we get caught up and anxious about, right? Treasure here and now. Things that are very valuable to us here and now. It can be money, it can be time, it can be things and talents, careers, reputations, whatever that thing is. But the other part of that is, or are we, are, we, are we concerned with eternal things of God? Are we concerned in the eternal things of God? With the eternal things of God? For the eternal things of God? You see, because if we're concerned in it, with it, for it, we're going to start putting all our gumption behind it. All our unction, maybe that's the word. But we're going to put that behind it because it's the thing that we're most concerned with. And guys, that's what I'm here to, to confess as well. As a human being, the natural man, I get caught up with the treasures here and now quite often, just like those birds in that tree. Temporary things. And what does God give me? A bigger word. Look, I've provided. And you know what? It wasn't so that I would look around and be like, as long as there's vegetation, there's these birds are good. It was so that I would see God's got this. God will provide. He'll provide now and he'll provide for eternity as he's done before and will do again. And it's calling me back to a place of trust. And so putting your faith in the eternal things of God is worthy and it is, it is the most valuable thing that we have. And so um, that all comes back to this because <clears throat> with that same group that I had a couple, couple weeks ago, we were leaving before this parable week. So, so the week before. And when we were leaving, I said, hey, next week, come back. I said, uh, we're going to talk about the parable of the rich fool. And just real quick, I say things sometimes and it's just comes, you know, it's not the oracles of God, right? It's just foolishness. And it came out of my mouth as people were leaving. I was like, cause none of us here are rich and none of us are fools. So probably, you know, it's got nothing to do with us. And I don't know why I said that. It's the dumbest thing you could ever say, but that's how they left. And you know, luckily they were saying things to each other. Maybe, they, maybe the God kept them from even hearing what I had to say. But if you came back this Thursday, that was not what my tone was. That was not what I, and I even said that to my, the group there. I was like, hey, one thing God hit me with was like, man, we all have stuff. And how rich am I? And then the full thing comes back to how am I in relationship to being rich in the things of God, toward God, with the things that I have. Otherwise, I'm just a fool if I'm putting my trust in these things. So definitely the Lord brought me back to it. 
But I want to I share that with you today because the question for us is, are we rich fools with time, talent, and resources? Or are we being rich with those things toward God, in God, using them as bridges to know more about God and lead others to show more about God, right? And so that is an important thing because this parable is not just for the man with a lot or the woman with a lot. It's for the person who's down and out too. I've seen down and out people who still have certain things that they'll fight you for if you try to take it away. The truth is the down and out or the one with much needs to be served by God. Both of them need to be served by God so that they can use what they have to serve others. You see, at any given moment, that's all of us, one with a lot or one with a little. One with a lot or feeling like we don't have anything, don't know where the next meal's coming from. And in both places, are you going to be served by God? What do I mean by that? It means knowing Jesus. Jesus serves us. We're gonna go through that in a moment with this, this, this table. You want to talk about how Jesus shows us to eat, drink, and be merry in a righteous way? It's a way that's focused on the eternal glory of God. You see, that's the thing about all this, is Jesus was never telling people, hey, don't enjoy the good gifts that God gives you. He was saying, don't let those gifts become idols in your life. Use those gifts in good and sacred ways. Jesus would share a meal and I believe he would laugh. I believe he would enjoy time with people in the right context. And with sinners, we know that he would dine with sinners. That's taught me a lot about, that's why I can't just take all these things as throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I have to actually walk in this world to live for Jesus. I have to get dirty sometimes to live for Jesus and what the religious people would say. Because I'm asking Jesus, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that's, I'm following his voice. And I'll go where he leads me. And you should too. And you can trust him to provide all along the way. So there's a statement here that's come up for me. And it's called, do not waste your life. Or do not waste your sports. Or do not waste your marriage. or do not." And there's a ministry around that, right? Do not waste. When I wrote it down in my notes, I had to rephrase it. Because if we think it's about me and mine... This is why it's hard to give it back to God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And everything we have is actually God's. So if everything is God's, guess what the statement is? Do not waste the life you have been given. You see, he's given me something, and now I'm just opening my hands to say, God, what, what would you have me to do? And guys, that's the best posture you can be in with everything you have. Because just as my parents laid me on the altar before God as a young baby and, and nurtured me that way my whole life and loved me, made me feel loved by them. It wasn't like they were absent or something like that. It was, it was the best place to love me that way. That's what I did with my children. And I'm seeing the rewards. I'm seeing the honor that God brings by having put them on the altar. Scary stuff to put it back on the altar. Take your hands off and say, God, I'm trusting you with it. But to watch what God does with it versus what I can do with it has been miraculous and wonderful. And I sit here today singing about the goodness of God for things like that too. Because I've experienced it firsthand how God works when you give it to him. Watch how it works. Watch how it grows. Watch what God will do. He's a better manager than I'll ever be. When he entrusts me with something, I want to be faithful to always give that back to him with open hands. Even if I'm the one managing in, that, in this worldly point of view, I still want to have open hands and say, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what would you have me to do? And I'm listening. Even as I preach this sermon, I'm listening. What, God, what would you have me to do? And so as I talked about this season was blessed, 
this week was blessed. There's a few things that are talked about during the Ash uh, Wednesday Lenten season. And uh, I saw it on one church billboard over at Home Rounds Parkway, and it said prayer, sacrifice, and sharing. You'll hear it said other ways, but I was thinking about those things. Those things don't come naturally to us. Praying. That doesn't come naturally to the man in the parable. It didn't come naturally to the man in the crowd. It doesn't come naturally to you and me until we're really desperate, and then we call out for help. Is it maybe a gift to be desperate? I believe it is. Oh, that God would not have to strip every single worldly blessing in my life so that I could be desperate. But if he does, it's for the glory of God. May you know right now in the comfort of this place what it means to know God and what it means to be desperate for him to save us, to continue to save us and to finish that saving work in heaven. So Prayer leads, I believe, to sacrifice. And then that sharing thing, that doesn't come natural to me. Does it come natural to you? I had to be raised that way, and it's still hard. And you know what? When I spend time with Jesus, something different comes out. There's something that says, wait, I want to love them like he's loved me, and he gave everything for me. That's life-changing stuff. That's revolutionary stuff. And as I was writing this, I wrote next to it... uh, the story with the pre-K kids. (laughs) So I've been in the uh, Sunday mornings with uh, getting an opportunity to be with my wife in the pre-K area, and our church is blessed to have so many pre-K kids. So imagine you put 20, 15, 20, little three, four, two, some two, but little children in there. Some are five. And then all of a sudden, one gets a hankering to have a toy that somebody else has. And you'll see it. And they just march across the room, take it, walk on. And you'll just see the kid just be like, hey, you know, and it turns into, hey, they took my toy. Um, and it's my toy. And it's, and what, are, what, what do we try to teach them? Hey, that's, you know, that's not kind. You, you need to share. We talk about those things. And I know you guys are talking about it. Thank goodness for building that foundation so that it's not the first time they hear it in the pre-K classroom. But these things are reinforced, right? It comes naturally. Hey, that's what I want. I'm going to go take it. When it's taken, it comes naturally. It'd be like, hey, they did me wrong. They took what was mine. It's not theirs, right? Sitting in a church building. But we all think like that. And, and you can know Kim and I are very, like, we love them on both sides. And we're, like, trying to figure out how, to, how do we talk about it, how we use this as a teachable moment, right? So we need help in the children's ministry, right? <laughs> if you feel called to that. You'll need the spirit of God to lead you. And they teach us so much along the way because that's the other part of that. I've seen where a child shares and I'm like, that's not natural. That's not what you see typically displayed. And when you see that, you're like, something's going on in that little one. That's precious. And so you try to highlight that and you try to say, wait, hey, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being like that with your neighbor and talking about those things, right? That's a more important lesson than half the stuff I got to say. And so you'll see those moments happen too. And you're like, that's, that's really amazing. Let's call that out. And guys, what a fertile thing to have your child in that kind of space where they're having that reinforced from somebody other than just mom and dad too. And I think that's a special thing. But I wrote next to that last week's, and I know I got to bring it in for a landing here, but last week's Good Samaritan parable. 
And I had wrote the email for last week, and I had wrote how I identify with those characters in the story so often in different ways. And that time I was identifying with the man asking the question. But there was another one that came up in our Thursday night group when Ali said something about the robbers with the man. And I said, Ali, thank you for that, because you know what I had never identified with in that story? The robbers. And you know what we are, guys? We're the robbers when we start to do something outside of God's will. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but it's the best way we can think of ourselves without Jesus. We're robbing God of his glory if we're not making much of Jesus. We're robbing God of his glory if we're in opposition to what Jesus says. We're robbing God of his glory if we're doing anything other than what Jesus is commanding. And so we are like the robbers in this world if we are not in agreement and cooperation with Jesus. Guys, I've been there. I can be there in a minute. But I choose by God's grace. He's given me this heart that wants, to, wants what he wants. And that's how I know that's not my identity. My identity is not as a robber. My identity is a follower of Jesus Christ. God sees me, he sees Jesus, and he's put a heart in me that has the same desires and wants. So I can can sympathize with the fact that I've hurt people by wanting things that go against God's glory. My sin, no matter how small somebody else considers it, and I've seen that where people be like, well, yours isn't as bad as, it robbed this world and God That's a big deal for the people who get robbed. And it's a big deal to God. I don't know if you're still tracking with me, but I just want to say that means that means at the end of this story, I really need to understand what this is talking about when he says in 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God because he's talking about a rich fool. So I'll just read it to you. What if the man in the beginning of this section could have or would have trusted the firstborn brother in his family to care for him and the rest of his family? How would that maybe even change this whole situation? Well, guys, I read you in the call to worship about the firstborn brother. He's not born of the, you know, he's not like in the sense he was created. He, scripture just wants us to understand he's the first one that has fulfilled God's covenant with us of being resurrected from the dead and glorified for eternity so that we could see and know his covenant is real. And so he's the firstborn among the dead. Well, guys, don't jettison that firstborn language. Bring it into this story. Because guess who has the inheritance? Guess who has the keys to the inheritance? Now, again, if you have missed the rest of this passage and you think inheritance means I'm going to walk on streets of gold and have a mansion in glory and all this stuff, you are so wrongly focused here. It's about knowing Jesus and knowing him. It's about glorifying him forever. I don't know if that looks like streets of gold and mansions of glory. You know, so be it if that's what God's plan is. I'm going to trust him in that. But what I'm saying is that's not what it's about. So when I talk about inheritance from Jesus Christ, it's talking about the eternal blessings that come from God and his covenant with his people. And guess what you can trust about Jesus? If he's the firstborn, he's going to divvy it out. He's going to make sure you get What's good for you and what's good for me? And there'll be no sorrow and there'll be no regrets. There'll be no weeping and gnashing of teeth like we know in this life. Inheritance battles are real in this world. That's not part of the eternal story in heaven because Jesus is in charge. He's the chief executor. He's the one who makes sure that we receive the salvation promises of God. 
And so I wrote it like this. Will you hold on to Jesus most dearly? If we see Jesus for who he is and what he can do, promises to do, what he will do, we too could trust like birds and flowers, but even deeper as partakers with him of God's eternal covenant with his children. Will you let yourself be robbed of all that? Jesus doesn't want that. So Jesus came to make a way for you and me. I didn't touch on it a lot, but to eat, drink, and be merry, guys, we're getting ready to observe communion together. And as we do this, you're invited to respond. There's questions of response in that sermon about how we trust Jesus. But this, this, this moment right here with this meal is to be that moment where we are able to say, it's not anything I bring, it's all that Jesus brings to the table. It's not what I bring to the table, it's what Jesus brings to the table. What do I hold most dear? If I walk up here and I take this bread and I take this juice that represents his body and his blood given for me, but I take those things and say, this is my hedge. This is how I'm hedging my bets. I'm taking this because I want to know I'm going to get to heaven someday. I'm taking it wrongly. But if I come and I take this because I'm like, I believe I can't save myself from my sin. I believe that I can't experience the goodness of God apart from what Jesus has done to make a way to reconcile me, what we read in the call to worship. Then that's why I'm coming today because I believe Jesus can do that. And so I'm taking this bread representing his body that was broken. I'm taking this juice representing his blood that was shed because I recognize I need him and I'm desperate for him to continue the work that he began in me through Jesus Christ. And now guess what? Jesus Christ becomes my boss. When I walk out of here today and I start to say, soul, John, say to yourself, I'll have God's voice saying, John, I'd like give you a better word. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear the better word. Try it my way. I'll try it again. And I'll know real quick, by grace of God, I know not to even enter into that because God's way is better. So guys, when you come up here, I hope that you can take this not somber. Some of us will be somber because that's just the mode we're in today. And there's things going on. I've been somber here in this congregation different times for different seasons of my life. But please know this meal is not a somber thing. This meal is to be relaxed, to be merry, to enjoy what God has done for us. So when you take this, feel the joy, feel the warmth of God sharing this table with you and inviting all who will come to partake of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed to make us right with him so we could experience eternal treasures forever in glory. I'm gonna pray and I'll invite the folks who are gonna serve communion with me to come forward. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the ways that you lead us to this table. And thank you for the blessings that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the covenant that you fulfilled through him as the Christ. God, help us to put our full faith and hope in him, even as we come in this moment to examine ourselves and, and to truly look and be real with you about do we trust, do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? And if we do, Lord, let us come expectantly and grateful and hopeful, joyful in what you're going to continue to do in our lives. 
And God, I pray that you'd bring freedom from this, through this moment. Bring freedom to our hearts to enjoy you now in the here and now, but in the right way as our eternal King and Lord. So God, I pray that you would move on our hearts, lead us, guide us, speak to us, even as we walk away from this table. Continue to preach your gospel, your good news about your love for us. For God, you so love this world that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Praise be to God our Father and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So guys, as you come forward today, we'll have people here with bread and juice. There's some uh, capsules here in case you need, you know, the gluten-free option. But I would encourage you as you come to recognize too, some of us, we want to sit, we want to stay back. You might be injured. Whatever the reason is, feel free. If you need to sit, you sit. You're not, nobody should look on another in judgment on this. This is a personal corporate experience, but it's a personal movement in the heart. And we would encourage you to be faithful to how God's leading you to that, okay, today. And um, let us thank God as we take this. Let us just enjoy what God has done for us. So on the night that he was betrayed, we're told that Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May we do the same today by God's grace.
thankful this morning and when I get thankful in what Jesus has done it makes me hopeful about what he's going to do 
I pray that for you this morning. I do have a benediction. And I want to say something. We do different motions as we come into this church. Many of us are used to those things over the years. But one thing that's touched me and my family is the time of benediction that Pastor Stephen has so often led us in as a church. And it's extended hands. And when we extend those hands, it's like, as I sang that song, it's like, I'm just saying, God, it's you. It's, it's all open-handed. It's, it's, even when I feel like I, I know I'm not open-handed about it, I'm going to do this so that God will move my heart to open-handedness. Because, Lord, what would you have me to do? So I'm going to invite you to receive this benediction with me. It's not about me or us, Jesus. It's all about you. It's for your glory and your fame. It's not about me. As if you should do things my way, you alone are God. Help us surrender to your ways. Help us to do that in the power and blessing of Jesus' name. Make us grateful and hopeful in who your son Jesus is and in your son's generous work that he will continue to do in and through us as your people. Go with God and be blessed.